But in verse 18 of Romans chapter 5, and I'm reading from the New American Standard 2020 edition, it says, So then, as through one offense, the result was condemnation to all mankind, so also one act of righteousness, the result was justification of life to all mankind. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one, the many were made righteous. The law came in so that the offense would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, so also grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, we pray that you would give us understanding by your Holy Spirit this morning. Help us to appreciate, help us to enjoy, help us to celebrate and to revel in this great grace by which you have bestowed upon us righteousness, being justified by faith. So give us ears to hear, we pray this morning what the Spirit would say to each of us. And we ask this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. So as we were looking at this earlier, you have a comparison that's going on here between uh, Adam, who was the one person or the one man from which the offense came, who ushered in sin and death, to the entirety of humanity. And the contrast between Adam's sin was Jesus Christ's obedience to going to the cross and therefore bringing in righteousness made available to, I believe, the entirety of humanity. What is interesting, and I, and I almost backed up all the way to verse 15 on this this morning, is I counted how many times the word grace or gracious was in this particular passage from verse 15 all the way to the end uh, of this chapter, which is verse 21. And I counted the word grace or gracious seven times. So that should tell you what this passage is all about. And so when, when we, when in teaching about grace... And, of course, it's much more than what you say before you eat, okay? But in teaching about grace, it's going to be very imbalanced. And I think because it should be very imbalanced. Because the reality is that we were in this place where sin increased. Sin abounded, it says, in the... New King James. And when sin increased or when sin abounded, then grace abounded all the more. It increased all the more. And because the reality is, is, is because of the sin of Adam, 
we have that, that, that canopy of sin and death that hovers over the entirety of humanity. And, and we as people uh, are then separated from God and there is nothing that we can do to restore that uh, broken relationship between us and God. There's nothing that we can do. And so God understanding this, God knowing this, sends his son who comes in the likeness of flesh, lives a, a sinless life, dies on the cross, resurrects from the dead, and, and that, that, that penalty of, uh, uh, that was our due, that penalty that we were uh, sitting under was taken care of and it was paid for by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So, again, the contrast between Adam and his disobedience, Christ and his obedience. With Adam, we get sin and death. death. With Jesus, we get grace, and we also get life. And even according to what we read in verse 17 of chapter 5, it says, uh, for if one for if by, one, by the offense of one, that's referring to Adam again, death reigned through the one, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, they go hand in hand, the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, they go hand in hand, uh, they will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. It says they will reign in life. I touched on this some on Wednesday night, but... And the more I thought about this is that we now have the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to reign over our own, I think, even our own impulses. Now, we will never live sinless lives. But we now have the power because of the Holy Spirit not to live in those sins any longer. Death no longer has a hold on us. We have been set free, and Jesus told us in the Gospels that if the Son has set you free, then you are what? You are still in bondage, right? You Thank you. You are free indeed. Why? Because of grace. Because of unmerited favor. Because of getting something good you could say an empowerment, getting something good to live in a way that not only pleases God, but also really in reality to live in a way that pleases ourselves because sin is only pleasurable for a season. And, and I, I've talked to plenty of people who they... They, they've sinned and sinned and sinned and eventually they get tired of it. But then they're caught up in the cycle. They're caught up in the bondage. They're caught up in, and, the, and there's no way out uh, other than the, 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 the grace of God by receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and then the Lord gives us that empowerment, his grace by which we walk in newness of life. So, because of Adam, I, and I hate saying this because, gosh, I'm, I'm, 
I'm almost like when I see him in heaven, I was like, I hope I didn't miss, you know, I hope I didn't mistreat you. But then again, Paul was is kind of rough on him here, right? Essentially, the whole entire human race is ruined. But Christ comes and meets us in our ruin and far exceeds our expectations in rescuing us. It far exceeds our expectations. It tells us in verse 20, uh, so when uh, the law came in so that the offense would increase. Isn't that kind of weird? Good. Okay, let's just keep going. No, anyway, no, I'll address it. The law came in so that sin would increase. Paul's going to address this later on in the book of Romans. We'll go back to this concept and we'll look at it a little bit in more depth. But essentially, the law brought our awareness of sin. It's in Romans 7, by the way. And Galatians 3 tells us that the law was our tutor or our schoolmaster or it was our instructor to show us of our need for Christ. Because if there was no standard then we would not know if we were, one, violating it. Number two, if there's no standard, not only would we not know if we were violating it, but we would probably incline to think that we're pretty good and we're doing okay. And after all, and I've heard this mentality that God, they don't say it this way, but essentially what they're saying is that God grades on a curve. God grades on a curve. Stupid. It's bad doctrine. God sees us in the finished work of God the Son in his dying on the cross for us, and that's the only way that God sees us. We've either received Christ or we have not. And so the law comes in so that sin might increase. In other words, now we have knowledge. See, that's the whole idea of rules. You don't keep rules for rules' sake. You keep rules so that you understand where the proper boundaries are. You understand where the boundaries. And if you don't understand where the boundaries are, then, then, then what happens is, is chaos ensues. And the inmates begin to run the asylum. Okay? Which they might anyway. You see you guys later. They're both prison guards or were. Um, but also the thing is, is that there is something in many of our natures that when we find the law, what do we do? We want to break it. And you're thinking, not you. I'll just say 55 miles an hour and just leave it at that. How's that? Why is it that some of you laugh more than others? Never mind. Anyway. But th there is something in human nature, and again, it's, I think it began with the sin of Adam, is something in our nature that when we hear the law, see the law, or are aware of the law, we want to break the law. Or as the 60s saying, I'm dating myself here, we want to get over on the man, right? Some of you, t you know, you, you remember that, okay? You want to get over on the man. You want to get one up. 
The wellspring of that is what? It's pride. It's pride. I'll show you. And so the law comes in alongside as sin uh, was already in place and therefore sin increases. That word increased is a word that really can be translated uh, abounds much more. Um, it, it's a sin that, that becomes uh, greater, becomes more and more, becomes greater in abundance. But what's um, interesting about this is that as we continue to read in verse 20, it says, but, uh, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Now, in the, in the New King James, which I'm trying to turn to real quick, it says that where sin abounded, correct? I'm still not there, so someone shake their head. Sin abounded. Where sin abounded, then grace abounded all the more. So that's interesting that they translated it in that way because this word, the first word in the New King James where it says where sin abounded, it is a different Greek word than the second word that's translated abounded all the more. You've got two different quantities here. That's important to understand. Now, the first word where it says sin abounded or sin increased, it, it means that sin became more and more, and it kind of had this piling on, all right? And, and so it, it, it becomes greater and greater. That, that's a good translation of this Greek word. But when you then read that grace abounded all the more, or as I have in the, the New American Standard, it said grace abounded all the more as well, um, that second word, that's a translated abounded. It's not just a translated abounded. It's a translated abounded all the more. See, it, it needed that phrase to translate one word. Follow me? All right. What this is talking about is this superabundance. This, 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 this compounding of greater and greater and greater abundance. Way beyond that which sin is able to amass. Does that make sense? Follow me on this? In other words, the grace of God is so much greater than the sin of humanity. Now think about the sin of humanity. Maybe not. But think about what this verse is telling us, is that the grace of God far exceeds the entirety of human sin. Far exceeds it. And what's interesting about this particular verse here, it, it doesn't say that, well, once the sinning stopped, then the grace of God came in. God meets us in his grace. That, and and we, we saw this earlier in this chapter, and I referred to it earlier that, that God's demonstrated his love, his gracious love toward us that while we're yet sinners, that Christ dies for us. Grace comes when sin is compounding. That's what it's saying here. That's what the terminology in the Greek is really trying to convey to us. I told you that when I teach on grace, it's uncomfortable and it's unbalanced. Because the reality is, it, we look at this and we start to think that God is getting the raw end of the deal. 
I almost want to say he is. But I don't dare. Because these are things that God has determined within his own mind and within in his own economy. And the prophet Isaiah refers to things like this when he says that his ways are higher than our ways and they are beyond our finding out. I'm just sharing with you what, this, what the Bible, particularly in the Greek, is declaring. That while we, whilst our sin is compounding, his grace covers it is greater than it. His unmerited favor toward us it is super increased. It is super abounding. And it's this picture of this this unending overflowing of grace. A grace that knows no bounds. A grace that is always more abundant than the sin that we can muster. Again, as, as I was studying this yesterday, that, that old hymn. Grace, grace, marvelous grace. Grace that is what? Greater than all our sin. See, whoever wrote that old song understood this passage. That we, that we have available to us a grace that is greater than all our sin and it is not given to us predicated upon how good we are. Because if his grace, that is his favor, all right? If his favor is dependent upon how good we are, then it's not really grace. So if you think God will love you more if you are a better person, then you don't completely understand his grace. That's hard to deal with, I think, even as we evaluate and and, and search our own hearts and our own minds. And, but what where makes this really problematic is those people. When we start thinking about them and how sinful they are. But the grace of God, according to this little verse, tells us that, that, that his grace, his favor, meets us in the midst of our sin. We don't clean up ourselves first. And it would thereby also make, I believe, great sense that his grace remains with us even in the midst of our sin. His grace remains with us. I've told you stories before of people that I've known who, who walked away from the Lord for years and then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit got a hold of their heart. And, and, and it was like they were reconverted. And, and because that grace of God never left. That grace of God was always there. That favor that, that we have been given by God, it never leaves us. And, and this, this idea of it increasing all the more, 
it, me, it really refers to this, to this concept of, of increasing on a very high scale, uh, a, a, a really an amount that you really, can, you really can't measure. Now, if you think about that, some of you need that kind of grace, don't you? An amount that you really, can, <laughs> that you really can't measure. Probably all of us need it. But it is also, in one of the definitions in this, it, it refers to this, 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 this endowment of, of, of a power, if you will, that causes someone to superabound. And some of you may look in the mirror of your own lives and you think, wow, I really struggle. I'm not really a recipient of God's grace. But the reality is, if you weren't receiving God's grace, imagine where you might be. Imagine where you might be. I don't think we'd be here. God lavishes his grace of love upon us beyond measure. And it exceeds the measurability of our human sin. And it's, but what I've found is it's only when we really understand the depths of our own depravity that we really begin to appreciate the grace of God. Because the problem with most people, Christian and non-Christian alike, is not that they feel that they think badly of themselves. They usually have a too high of an opinion of themselves. And therefore, therefore they, particularly with non-Christians, they go back to the idea of God grading on a curve, right? But when we really understand the depths of our depravity, then we really begin to get in contact with it and understand how incredible God's grace is for us. You see, in reading this passage, what we have to, I think, really comprehend and really grab a hold of is that this is a declaration of the nature of God. This is a declaration of who he is and what his character is all about. And at times, I have to check my own impulses when I encounter someone who is more gracious than I am and I'm thinking maybe they shouldn't be and maybe I should tell them. Then I realize that maybe I should be quiet and not tell them anything and just sit back and watch and learn. But this is the nature of God. This is what it means when Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This is who he is. Our sin abounds. And, and the problem is, as we get older, the reality is, is that our flesh does not get better. Our human nature does not get better. We get crabbier. I think I'll stop there while I'm ahead. But anyway, but we, 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 don't, we, we don't improve with age unless we walk in the Spirit, Galatians 5, 
Therefore, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And some of you who are battling with some of those same issues, whatever those are, and you think, by now I should have been, it should be over, well, no, because your flesh does not get better, it gets worse. So the battle becomes more intense. And at times it becomes more difficult. And I've met saints that, how do I describe this? In talking to them and getting to know them, and nobody here, this is my last church, right? But nobody here, but, but, but in, in talking to them, it, it's, you could tell that they once had this incredible, vibrant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, but then the battle became too hard. And they just kind of plateaued and kind of petered out. They kind of gave up. And they still talk it, still attend church, carry a Bible, a nice big Bible thumper Bible like this one, you know. But, but the life, the vibrancy, the markings of the Holy Spirit when a person is filled with the Spirit is no longer upon them. Because they got tired in the battle. Because they did not recognize that when sin abounds, that the grace of God superabounds over the top of that. And, 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 I, and I do. I love that Pentecostal saying. And part of, I think part of the problem is w- with us in our walk with Christ, getting back to this Pentecostal saying, is that we no longer remain under the spout where the glory comes out. In other words, we no longer avail ourselves to God's grace. Because I know a lot of verses. I study the Bible a lot. I should be able to handle this. All the while, my fleshly nature is getting worse. And we might have cleaned up the outside. I love the saying, hopefully we don't we don't dance and chew and smoke and go with girls who do that kind of a thing, right? Or it was anyway, I messed it up. Anyway. Let it go, Mike. Um, we cleaned up that outside. But the reality is, I think that often we are at shock because we recognize at some point that our inside is a whole lot worse than our outside ever was. Even if you were a goody two-shoes, okay? That outside, that inside is, is so much more difficult to deal with. But understanding that this is the nature of God and this is how he treats us and this is how he wants to relate to us and and that, that he desires to lavish us with his grace. And so grace becomes our narrative. Grace becomes our narrative. And, 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 and when we finally recognize that God loves us, which I don't know about you, but I, I, at times I have, I have issues with that. I think some of you do too. 
but just recognizing that God really loves us. And because I think part of it is that my definition of God loving me is a little bit different than God's definition of him loving me, right? That Santa Claus mentality. Boy, that, that must have just, you think about that, it just, that was a life in hell. But I don't want to go ranting and raving about Santa Claus. But anyway, but I, but I think we, we have transference in our thinking. And we transfer one, one good, godly, if you will, authority, and we transfer those attributes onto someone else or another one. But it, when we really begin to understand how much that God loves us, and, and we should allow his affection to really to permeate the entire corners of our lives. Because again, not only does sin, uh, as sin increases, grace abounds all the more, but, but as sin reigned in death, verse 21, so also grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace will reign through righteousness. That is a full theological saying that I don't have time to unpack completely. His grace reigns in our lives as he imputes to us or deposits in our account or gives us his righteousness. That's what we have been looking at over and over again in the book of Romans really up until this point. We talked about justification and righteousness and how the, the two just really are side by side. But, but now Paul is really introducing uh, this idea that it is all based on God's grace, graciousness to us. That is his character, that is his nature, and that's what he desires to impart to each of us. So, in thinking about this, what are we to do about God's abounding grace? What are we to do about God's abounding grace? Because again, I, th I, think, I think most of us, for the most part, we get comfortable receiving it. I think at times we struggle with that, though, but I think we, most of the times we are comfortable receiving it. But not only to receive it, but do you enjoy it? Do you enjoy God's grace? And I think in part by enjoying it, it means we don't take it for granted. Do you enjoy his grace? Do you celebrate his grace? which is expressed how? In worship. You know, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like you, right? It's easier than saying me, anyway. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I, I see. If you've read the story of the guy who wrote that, John Newton, who wrote that song, he was a hellraiser. And God saved him. And God did a work in his life. Do you enjoy God's grace? 
do you celebrate God's grace through worship? And if you recognize that you are in God's grace, then you don't need to be under anybody else's law. Nor do you need to impose yours on someone else. Don't be a fixer. Most fixers are legalist. <laughs> My assessment, your mileage may vary. I haven't said that yet. Because if we are truly enjoying the grace of God, if we are truly celebrating the grace of God, that means we're also going to be a good steward of the grace of God. And so we don't try to impose on others things that we can't even keep ourselves. See, Paul was very clear in some of his writings on this, particularly in the book of Galatians, when he opposed whom? The Judaizers. Remember the Judaizers? Paul would go into a town. He would preach the gospel of grace. People would get saved. They would enjoy the grace of God. They would celebrate the grace of God. And behind him came these religionists, these Judaizers, and they would say, well, that's cool that you receive the grace of God, but you've got to become a Jew. You've got to get circumcised. You've got to, eat, uh, you've got to follow Torah. You've got to eat kosher. And on and on and on and on and on. And, and Paul wrote letters to refute that doctrine that we are saved by grace alone. Not only we are saved by grace, we're not saved by grace to be under the law, folks. We're saved by grace to walk in grace. So, does that mean technically, biblically, theologically, you can do what you want, disagree with me. You can do whatever you want. You can disagree with me if you want, but I'm saying yes. All things are lawful. But they are not all profitable. But if we are truly saved and if we truly believed in that work of eternal security in our Lord Jesus Christ, then his grace stays with us. But are we being a good steward of the grace of God? What is our response to God? Because hopefully, hopefully, your relationship to the Lord is not transactional. You know what I mean by that? Basically, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You do me a favor, I'll do you a favor. Well, since you saved me, I guess I ought to follow the laws and at least be a decent person. Or... The problem with grace is it's an affront to our own pride because the reality is a lot of us, we want to somehow try to make it up to him. Well, he saved me and I should be this and I should do that. I hear that a lot from people. I mean, again, last church. I should do this, I should, I should do that. My last church was 18 years ago, so I got to come up with a new line. Anyway, but...
Maybe we ought to learn to replace the phrase, I should do, with I get to. And if what you do for the Lord is an, in the concept of an, I should do it because, maybe we need to revisit why we do these things. And hopefully the things that we do for the Lord, we do so because we get to do them. And that, that, that in, in the work of the ministry uh, that, that we do or the work of the time that we spend with him is done because of the love relationship that we have with him, not because we feel some sense of obligation. If you feel obligated, stop doing it. Seriously. And learn to understand and to enjoy and to celebrate the grace of God. Because if you really understand the grace of God, that flips everything around. And, and, and then, <clears throat> then you are in a place where you really desire to do these things to serve him. Do you read the Bible out of duty? If so, is it dry? Is it boring? You can't wait to see what's on TV or on the internet? Do we read the scriptures? Do we pray out of duty? Do we, or, or do we do it because the, the, these are the, the things of life? These are life-giving things that we, we are called to enter into, the spiritual disciplines of Bible reading and prayer and spending time with the Lord. Are they life-giving to you? And if they're not, perhaps it's because you're doing it for the wrong reason. I don't know why God saved any of you, to be honest with you. I don't know. I, I definitely don't know why God saved me. But he demonstrated his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, his grace abounded toward us. Christ died for us. And so with that, Boy, I could go on for another hour, but I'm going to stop. Because I feel like I'm just getting heated up. With that, we need to be gracious to others. Because if we are truly walking in God's grace, then we are going to extend that to others. Now, I'm not advocating a doormat theology. You need Torah in that regard sometimes. You need law. You need boundaries. You, need, you can't just let people run all over you. God doesn't even do that. Although he is a whole lot more forgiving, he is a whole lot more gracious, he is a whole lot more long-suffering than I can even imagine that I ever will be. but we have to extend that grace to others. The Jerusalem Council, again, when they met and they were trying to figure out what to do with the Gentiles, because they were Gentiles that were getting saved, and, and, 
And what came out of that council was the question, how in the world can we impose upon Gentiles the very things that we ourselves cannot even keep? See, it took some hammering out. It took some discussion. I think it's Acts 15. It's really an interesting read. Um, it, but it, it took a lot of discussion and a lot of back and forth. But they understood that, uh, they came to that conclusion because they understood the grace of God. They understood that they could not put any more of a burden upon anyone that they were not able to keep themselves. And so in this understanding of God's grace, don't allow someone to put a burden on you. And don't put a burden on someone else. It's a whole lot easier for me to say it and you to hear it right now than it is for us to live it, isn't it? But that is what I believe is the nature of God. And we have been given the mind of Christ and we are called and, uh, and to, be, to subject ourselves to that work. We are conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And so as much as we can, as much as we allow it, we're to be gracious as well. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Amen.